if premiers and prime ministers and presidents are ultimately not in control, then who is in control? Who is the true ruler? Who is the true king in a chaotic world at a chaotic time? Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. I'm Steve Hiller. Glad you're with us as we begin a new series called The King of Glory. And uh, Jonathan, as you throw that question out there, is it really as simple as just doing the typical Sunday school answer? Jesus? Well, you know, Jesus is the right answer uh, in this occasion, as is so often with Sunday school questions. You're quite right, Steve. But to see why it is that Jesus is the true ruler, the true king in a chaotic world, we've really got to engage carefully with the text of Scripture in John's Gospel, where we're going to be today in the program. And of course, the question, although it can be posed and is posed rightly in Sunday school, it's a huge question. It's a pressing question for our world, and it's one that we need to take really very seriously. Well, it is one to take very seriously, because when we look at the world around us, we see such chaos, and it can be easy to think that God is not sovereign. He is not in control because if he were, things might look a little bit different. So why do you think it's so important for us to keep in mind that he is king? Well, I think the supreme authority of Jesus Christ is vitally important for each one of us to reckon with. It's it's important to reckon with, actually, if you haven't yet submitted your life to Jesus Christ, if you're listening, Uh, This is the all-important question. Is he supreme or not? Is he ruler or not? Is he worthy of your worship or not? And eternity hangs in the balance in the answer to that question. But for us who believe, remembering and trusting that the Lord Jesus Christ is supreme in all the universe is our great source of comfort in a chaotic world and how we need that comfort today. Well, as you said a moment ago, we're going to be in the book of John as we begin our message. It's called, Who is the True King? Open your Bible and join us at the end of John chapter 18. We'll spend some time in chapter 19 as well. Here is Jonathan. Well, who is in charge? Who is in control? Who ultimately has a handle on the situation? I think we're all asking that question at the moment. We're all wondering, eyes are on world leaders, hopeful that they will have some answers for us, hopeful that they might be able to provide some real solutions. We tune in to news briefings by politicians and health officials like we never have before, hanging on their every word, longing to hear something hopeful. And I have to say, I'm very, very grateful for the work that our leaders are doing at the present time. I think we need to be much in prayer these days for civic, provincial, and national leaders as they seek to lead and to serve through an impossible situation. But however good their efforts are, however hard they try, they know and we know their ability to control this present crisis, it is incredibly limited. There's only so much that they can do, only so much that they can achieve. The problem is so great. And as we look on at efforts made by leaders around the world to manage the situation and to control the situation, we we of course can see potential missteps and mistakes that perhaps have been made. 
faced with an impossible situation, with a global crisis, fallible human leaders are shown to be limited in power and limited in insight. Now, I don't say that by way of criticism, of course. That's just the hard reality of which we're all aware. And so we come back to the question, if premiers and prime ministers and presidents are ultimately not in control, then who is in control? Who is the true ruler? Who is the true king in a chaotic world at a chaotic time? As we begin this important season in our church calendar, we enter into John's narrative and his account of these momentous events of Easter. And the questions that I've just raised are the very questions at the heart of John's narrative that he relays for us. In the verses that we've just read, the great and overarching question is simply and emphatically this, who is the true king? Is it Pilate? the representative of Roman imperial power in Israel, the man who sits on a secular throne, or is it Jesus the Messiah who stands on trial in apparent weakness before him? This Easter today, John would have us see that the true sovereign, the God-appointed ruler of all things, he has come to us in meekness and in humility. He has come to us in human frailty and even in suffering and even in death. But he has come to us, make no mistake, he has come to us to rule. Despite all appearances, John wants us to see that the Christ of Calvary is the leader, the Lord, the Messiah, even the King, whom we must worship and adore. He wants us to see that despite all appearances at this moment of apparent weakness, Jesus Christ has come to us as the gracious ruler who is in supreme control even at the very moment when things appear to be most out of control. It feels as though our present days are dark and in some very real and some very tangible ways we are living through dark days at the present time. But as we enter into John's passion narrative, we are in fact entering into the account of the very darkest days that the world has ever known. Here in these hours, we see the world reject its savior. We see the people reject their king. We see the hands of the creature shed the blood of the one who formed them from the very dust of the ground. And precisely at this moment of profound darkness and apparent chaos, John sets out to show us the majestic authority and power of Jesus Christ, who is the true king. To answer that question, we need simply to immerse ourselves in the narrative. And we need to observe its key figures. And we need to allow the story to unfold in its own terms. And that's what we're going to do together this morning, I trust. And we begin by observing what John shows us of a very changeable ruler, of Pilate. 
this great representative of worldly power who is shown ultimately to be vacillating, compromised, and weak. We're joining the story at a crucial and a climactic moment. Jesus has had his last supper with his disciples. He's, he's prayed. He's gone into the garden. He's been betrayed by Judas on that fateful night. He's been taken to Annas. He's been betrayed now by Peter. He stood before Caiaphas, the high priest, and now here he is before Pilate, the Roman governor, the regional representative of the imperial might of Rome, the most powerful empire the world has ever known. The crowd of Jesus' accusers from the religious establishment, they lead him to the governor's headquarters. The Jewish authorities, they didn't have the power and authority to execute a criminal, so they, they needed the Roman ruler to declare him guilty and to give that fateful order. If Jesus was to die, which is what they wanted, well, Pilate needed to order his killing. And so they bring him to the governor's headquarters early that morning, perhaps before 6 a.m. It's probably not how Pilate wanted to start his day. Maybe he had just made his coffee and this group arrives. But Jesus is, is taken in to the governor's headquarters and, and the crowd, they remain outside at a safe distance where they won't be ceremonially defiled. They won't be made unclean by entering this Gentile building. Pilate, he, he hasn't sought out this situation. He doesn't want it. But his is the burden of leadership, and now he's got to deal with it. And in dealing with it, he's put now in the rather undignified position of having to run between Jesus, who is inside, and the crowd who are outside, rather like the waiter on a busy evening in the restaurant who runs between the table and the kitchen and the table and the kitchen. But Pilate, he scuttles out and he asks the crowd the very reasonable question, what accusation do you bring against this man? Why are you here at six in the morning disturbing my peace? What's this all about? And of course, the accusers, they have nothing of substance to say. If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. It is a non-answer. And Pilate, he has the good sense to see that this is indeed nonsense. And he asks them to take Jesus away and to deal with him themselves. But now they get to the heart of why they've come, why they're here. It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. You Romans, you've taken that power away from us. And we want the death penalty here. Let's be clear about that. We're not going to settle for anything else, Pilate. Pilate now makes the, the run back inside, and he asks the question that all Jerusalem is now asking, verse 33, are you the king of the Jews? Here is the earthly king, the earthly ruler, asking the all-important question to his prisoner. Jesus doesn't quite give Pilate the satisfaction of a direct answer, and we'll come to that in a moment. But Pilate knows that if Jesus will just admit to making a claim to royal power, that will actually simplify things a great deal. That will cut short this exchange. Rome wouldn't tolerate anyone claiming to be a king. So if Jesus made that claim or got anywhere near it, well, that would justify the execution and Pilate could get on with his day. But Jesus doesn't quite do it. He, he doesn't give Pilate the tidy solution that he's seeking. Pilate tries to bait him a little bit further. Verse 37, 
So you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice, says Jesus. Now, those are profound claims that Jesus is making. Rather than allowing the conversation to operate just on the level of politics and power, Jesus moves now to a higher level. This is about universal questions, grand questions of global significance. This is about truth. I've come to bear witness to the truth. This is about authority. But rather than grapple with this, rather than accept it or deny it, Pilate just waves the issue aside. Verse 38, what is truth? You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and our message, Who is the True King? Now, we're pausing right here for just a moment because I want you to know if you ever miss a broadcast in our series, you can always come and listen online. Our website is EncounterTheTruth.org. You can stream the program or download an MP3 for free. You can also listen if you have the Encounter the Truth app. It's uh, free. Just go to your favorite app store and search for Encounter the Truth, and that's a great way to listen to Jonathan's teaching on the go. Well, if you joined us late, we're in John 18 and 19. Let's get back to the message. Here is Jonathan. Verse 38, what is truth? It's a profound question to be asking on the surface of it, but for Pilate, it's little more than an avoidance strategy as far as I can tell. And to show that this is about avoidance rather than any kind of careful grappling with the issues that Jesus is raising, Pilate then escapes the encounter and he takes himself back outside now to the fresh morning air and to that waiting crowd And he declares, I find no guilt in Jesus. Well, to us as observers, this sounds very, very good indeed. There's progress here, we might think. Despite his very shallow examination of the prisoner, Pilate has actually come to the right verdict. He's come to the truth. You're right, Pilate. We all know you're right. We know the story of Jesus. Now, just let him go. Surely any just ruler would let the prisoner go when he realizes that he is in fact innocent. Well, not this time. And not this changeable ruler. That's not what he does. Pilate's next breath confirms that he is both weak and completely lacking in integrity. Verse 39. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? That's Jesus. Hold on, Pilate. You're the ruler here, not not the crowd. What are you doing? You don't answer to them. On no other occasion would you feel that you need to answer to them. You do what you think is right. The crowd is not king. Rome has placed you in authority here. But Pilate is now showing the stark reality of his weakness and his lack of real leadership, along with his lack of moral fiber and the crowd they play upon it. They cry out for Barabbas, a robber, a criminal who we understand had led an insurrection. He's a dangerous man. There was evidently this custom for one prisoner to be released at the time of the Passover. And the crowd, they cast their vote. They want, they want Barabbas. They want this known criminal to be set free. Not Jesus, their rejected Messiah. 
Pilate then, having received his instruction from his own subjects, goes back inside and he has Jesus flogged. He has him mocked and beaten. And as one lacking both conviction and direction, he then comes back out. And he makes this bizarre pronouncement, verse 4 of chapter 19. See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Having punished Jesus, having humiliated Jesus, Pilate then reaffirms that he is innocent. But the crowd won't be appeased by the punishment that's been given already. And the chief priests and the officers, they cry out, crucify him, crucify him. And rather than say, hold on, this is an innocent man, how dare you call for that? In feeble abdication of responsibility, Pilate instead says this, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Please relieve me of this responsibility, Pilate says. Here is a judge who does not want to try his case. Here is a ruler who does not want to issue the decree. Here is the email that he hopes will disappear from his inbox if he just ignores it. Here is the problem he trusts might just disappear if he closes his eyes and stops his ears. But the crowd, they are insistent. They won't let it go. They say that according to their law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. And we read very interestingly, we read in verse 8 that when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. I wonder if he was afraid on two counts. He clearly, he didn't want to kill Jesus, but he clearly also didn't want to upset the crowd and create a political headache for himself. And so now we have this ostensibly powerful ruler just crippled and paralyzed by fear. The claim to be the son of God, that scares Pilate because if it happens to be true and Pilate kills Jesus, well, he's killed someone of divine origin. He'll be in danger of setting himself against the God of Israel. But at the same time, he can now see that the crowd is working its way toward a substantial accusation against Jesus, an accusation that Pilate would have to take seriously. In the Roman world, Caesar, the emperor, would sometimes be referred to as a son of God, a semi-divine ruler. There was this kind of cult around the emperor and the claim for Jesus to be the Son of God, that starts to sound a little bit like a challenge to Caesar, to the Roman ear. And that claim, well, that could be worthy of death. In fact, that claim, it might be enough to force Pilate's hand. And so Pilate can see himself now being maneuvered between a rock and a hard place, and he's like a deer in the headlights now. He doesn't know what to do. In fear, he, he comes to Jesus. He scuttles back inside, now almost kind of pacing back and forth between the balcony and the inner courtyard like the nervous wreck that he is becoming. And he asks Jesus, verse 9, where are you from? Won't you tell me? Jesus declines to answer. And there's something really quite frantic about Pilate now. Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Don't you see that? Don't you know that? And Jesus calmly tells him plainly that he would have no authority in this case were it not given from above. Pilate's clearly sobered by all this. 
He's clearly seen not only the innocence of Jesus, but perhaps also something of his true identity, maybe even a hint of his divinity. And he tries now to release him. But the crowd, they won't release Pilate from his difficulty. They say now that releasing Jesus, that would be treasonous. That would be a betrayal of Caesar. They've found the line of argument that's going to work. And so a clearly wearied and conflicted Pilate sits down on what we're told is the judgment seat, verse 13. He presents Jesus to the crowd as their king, but they demand crucifixion. They insist now that Caesar is their true king. And so our passage ends with these simple but grave words. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. These events are some of the darkest and most tragic events ever to occur on the pages of human history. Any sympathetic reader, whether a believer or not, has to read the narrative just aching for justice to be done, just longing for this good and decent and righteous and humble man, Jesus Christ, to be shown decency and justice, and fairness. As that angry crowd is baying for blood, all eyes turn to Pilate to exercise some leadership. But the scene, it is made darker by his abject failure to lead. Even this drama of Pilate scurrying back and forth between the balcony and the inner court, between Jesus and the crowd who seem to have such power over him, between the crowd and the prisoner within, the prisoner whom Pilate seems to respect and perhaps even fear now on some level, even the choreography of this dramatic scene, it highlights for us the extent to which Pilate is simply not in control. Well, that's the changeable ruler that John presents to us in this drama. But as John shows us his weakness and his lack of integrity, as the strength and validity of Pilate's own authority dissipates and fades from view, John shines the light now instead on a very different kind of ruler, one who will be the crucified king. Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth and a message called, Who is the True King? We'll continue this message next time, so I hope you'll join us. Of course, you can always be listening on the radio, but you can also listen through the Encounter the Truth app. If you don't have it, you'll find it at your favorite app store. Just simply go there and look for Encounter the Truth. Well, Encounter the Truth is a listener-supported broadcast. We depend on your generosity to keep this program on this station. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a book Jonathan wrote, The King, The Cross, and the Meaning of Easter. And Jonathan, why did you write this book? Well, Steve, I, I wrote this book because I wanted to be able to give an opportunity to readers to go a little bit deeper with the meaning of Easter and the message of Easter. For those who are uh, followers of Jesus, You know, coming into this season, it the story can be so familiar, and the familiarity can blunt its impact in our mind and on our heart. And in this very brief book, we dig into the story in particular of the trial before Pilate and look at what we're being taught about 
Jesus and his his power and his control within the situation and how although Jesus is on trial he is shown to be the true king and I, I trust that's going to be a real encouragement for believers grappling afresh with the meaning of Easter and also for those who are still exploring and want to find out more what is the true meaning of of this annual holiday and and celebration what does it really mean and to that end actually steve i want to mention we're actually going to send two copies of the book to those who who request it we we want to send one for for you to keep and one for you to give away and we hope that you'll be able to to share this resource and the message of easter with others well the book is called the king the cross and the meaning of easter and as you just heard we'd love to send you two copies as you give a gift of any amount one to give, one to keep. And you can find out more or give right now by coming to our website. It is EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 1-833-99-TRUTH. That's 1-833-998-7884. Or again, the website, EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, thanks for listening today, and I hope you'll join us next time.